Um, well, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast uh, on this overcast morning up here in uh, overcast evening, I should say, up here in uh, in sunny Brisbane. Usually, um, we're on our second leg of our UK tour. Uh, we had our previous um, the, the previous podcast we did with with uh, with another UK company, and we're on our second second leg of our tour, um, second of three. So we're uh, we're in, right in the middle of our, our UK tour. Um, really pleased uh, to have a, again a couple of a couple of guys from the UK. Um, they've got up early for us just to just to have a chat uh, from Flarebright. We've got Dr. Kelvin Hamilton, who's the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder, as well as Chris Daniels, who's the Chief Commercial Officer. Kelvin and Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Hey, um, firstly, Kelvin, um, where where are you guys in the UK? Um, how cold is it, and uh, and and what time is it where you are? <laughs> Okay, so it's uh, just after 7.30 in the morning, which is, uh, I've only been in work for at least an hour and a half by this time. So it's actually quite quite an easy start for me. We're at the uh, UK's old rocket propulsion testing airbase just outside Oxford, wow. which has been turned into a drone and aerospace venture park. And so we love it. We've got our own building here and we can just walk outside. There's nearly a thousand acres uh, of flight testing area available to us. Just for drones or for other aircraft too? Uh, it's for drones, really. They also do um, rocket propulsion and things like that. So often when we're flying, you hear massive roaring noises going on in uh, bunkers and things like that. So it's a really exciting place to work. That's really cool. And uh, and Chris, so whereabouts in the UK is that? Yeah, so we're, it's, if you sort of draw a straight line from London um, going northwest to Oxford, we're, we're about three, three quarters of the way along that line. Um, so it's, it's between... Aylesbury and Vista for those people who've got good UK geographical knowledge. And then m- myself as on the commercial side, I tend to bounce around between London, Oxford and, and basically anywhere where um, people that we're going to do business with or people who've got deep pockets of money are. Uh, it's kind of wherever and, and, and whenever, really. You sound a little bit like myself, actually. Wherever the business is, we tend to go and, and look for it. Yep. So, um, so Kelvin, let, let's kick off with you first. You're, you're the CEO and obviously co-founder. Um, what's your background? How, how did you end up as the CEO of Flarebright in the UK? Yeah, it's a bit of a journey. So I, I'm one of these people, I left school at 15 with uh, very few qualifications because I just didn't like it at all and started work actually as a technician in an electronics assembly plant, a, a big factory. So I worked my way up there until I was a research and development technician and then I did a, a degree in electrical electronic engineering as a mature student. And then I got interested in research and I did a, a government sponsored PhD in Edinburgh in autonomous subsea systems. And at the end of that, uh, I was a co-founder of a, a previous autonomy company, which ran for nearly 20 years. And we sold that in 2013. And then I'd always been really interested in the air um, sector and not just subsea. And so I decided I would uh, take my earnings from the previous company and plow it into an aerospace startup, which is uh, <laughs> probably the most high risk thing you can do. I was going to say, is that a good decision? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's working out well now, but I must admit, it's been, uh, there's been some tense times uh, over the last few years. So really, I started that at the end of 2015. And right then, it, it was just me sort of in my bedroom, coming out with ideas and having to learn mechanical engineering from scratch to find things that weren't viable and going down dead ends. And sort of in 2017, I uh, came up with a concept, which is our snapshot nano drone, uh, which uh, had a lot of commercial pull. And so at that point, our CTO, Conrad Ryder, joined 
and a year later, Chris joined. So that, that was basically how the company formed. Yeah, right. And really interesting um, path. And it's funny, a few people I meet, particularly co-founders and those types of things, they come from very similar backgrounds. They had a career and they thought, I'm going to do this myself. I've got some some passion here, so we'll kind of see how we go. And Chris, um, I've done a bit of LinkedIn stalking already on you. You've got quite a different background, I think, um, to Kelvin. What's your background? How'd you end up as as CEO, uh, COO, or sorry, CCO of um, of, of Flairbright? Yeah, I've got a, 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 um, a very different background in that I, I peaked academically early on in my life and I've basically been on a downward trajectory. <laughs> so um, so I, I, I did a, a mathematics degree at Oxford University um, about 30 years ago now and then I became a paratrooper. I, I was an officer in the British Army and five years of that, did an MBA. I was um, trading floor investment banker really just to see what all the fuss was about um, and sort of through a, a kind of series of random jobs, including running Lloyds Bank sponsorship of the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games, um, led me ultimately to work in the senior team at the Airlander airship. This was this giant 92-metre double-hulled airship that was kind of doing really interesting, cutting-edge stuff in aerospace. Because it was such a high-profile project, I basically got to know everyone in the aerospace um, industry pretty quickly. And off the back of that, I ended up um, in a couple of startups, and which ultimately led me to Flairbright. So I'm not necessarily a drone person by background, but I'm definitely an aerospace person, and I'm quite connected in, but I've got the the sort of finance background and the, you know, the, that general sort of more generalist background, which really helps um, shape the company into kind of what it is and actually has, has helped, I think, shape our growth on a quite a nice um, straight line trajectory. I think that's really important, isn't it? And, and Kelvin, with um, with Mirigan as an example, our, our managing director is an aeronautical engineer and, and the smartest guy in the world. And and I'm one of the, the seniors in the company as well. I'm not an aeronautical engineer and I'm definitely not the smartest guy even in the room. Um, do you find the fact that you and Chris came from such different backgrounds but have a similar passion, you know, really helps Flairbright in, in moving forward? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm an engineer by background, so I'm built on an engineering chassis with all the stuff that normally goes along with that. So... Uh, I mean, I was trying to do it all myself. I was doing all the commercial stuff, and I'm, you know, I'm really not a networker. Whereas Chris is, you know, ultimately amazing networker. <laughs> you know, it's it's the usual dynamic. I'm an engineer. I'm quite good at running stuff. I'm really a manager, and uh, you know, I, I was actually going mad. I was, you know, really struggling with starting to get borderline mental health issues and stuff. You know, just forcing myself through things I'm just not good at. And I spoke to Conrad, a CTO, and. I said, we, I know that we need investment. I know we need to really crank up talking to more people. And I just can't face it. And he's like, time for a commercial director. And so uh, that was it. And so we got Chris along and it's really changed the company because uh, he's got this, um, he just knows everybody in the industry. You're right, he has the same passion, but he's got a very different approach and he's just a different person. So I'll give you an example. When we go to a big trade show, I come in a bit early, set everything up, and then I sit there on my laptop sorting out the videos and not meeting all the neighbours, whereas Chris comes in, explaining what we do to the security people, and then <laughs> drops his laptop and goes, shakes the hands of everybody that he can find and drags me along. And, uh, you know, you, you need both of those to make the company work. 
you are literally describing Mirrigan, um, our company, exactly <laughs> exactly the same outcome we have with with me as director of defence and national security, and Rob as our managing director. It's a very similar, um, very similar, um, you know, way of doing business. You know, we have that shared passion, but very different skill sets, which is which is kind of cool. Um, but let's talk about Flairbright because we, we can talk about us, you know, until the cows come home. But no one actually really cares about that, um, besides myself. Um, so, Chris, uh, sorry, Kelvin, I'm going to let you kind of kick off, I guess. Oh, I love your website and I love one of the taglines right at the top, solving aerospace problems with machine learning. Um, I've read your website now five times today and I have no idea still what you guys do. So I'm really looking forward to um, to sort of understanding that. But what is Flairbright? What, what are you trying to achieve? What's that problem you're trying to solve for people? Yeah, before I do that, I think Chris wanted to clarify something about my previous story. Do you want to just say that, Chris? Um, what about... So... What we do is throw a year's worth of flight trials into a machine to work out what's going on in, in a really simple way. So, you know, everyone's got digital twins and digital twins are really useful for um, kind of doing stuff without breaking things, without physically building which costs money hmm. most digital twins run in real time and most digital twins are not associated with machine learning with software and they don't integrate with let's say the flight control systems of the aircraft ours is a totally integrated system so we we literally will take the flight control system off the aircraft put it straight into the visual the digital twin and it already works. And because our machine learning works 100,000 times plus quicker than real time, we can throw so many scenarios at it so quickly. And that allows us to rapidly solve problems, to optimize things and to learn what's going on. So that's, that's what we do in a nutshell. What that means is we can do lots of other things like flying drones autonomously and measure wind and etc etc and we'll come to that in a, in a second but it's the the kind of offline development that allows us to cheaply and rapidly develop things in the real world did you want to add any that to, to that kelvin it was pretty good and so champing at the bit yeah uh, I mean, we started off as a drone company, really. We had this uh, idea about the um, search and rescue snapshot nano drone, which you fired up like a, a smart flare, basically. That's why we're called Flare Bright. It's this little thing you fired up from a flare pistol and did a 360 infrared camera scan and then came back to you in a few seconds. Because uh, I used to work offshore, so, you know, a man overboard situation was really serious. So mm. I wanted to help out stuff like that. But the drone was so incredibly hard to develop, even with my, I don't know, 20, 30 odd years of experience, uh, we got caught out with the usual, it's always a lot harder. And we were trying to use the classic methods of developing stuff, uh, which is digital twins and things like that. Um, and we just couldn't make it work. And our CTO, Conrad, in fact, he just said, Calvin, we've got to use machine learning. And I was a bit of a skeptic at that point, because it's a, it's a bit of a buzzword, so I was rolling my eyes. But uh, I, I let, him, let him loose, and within one day, the system was working. It would have been struggling to make work for uh, like a year, basically. And so that has informed the pivot. You know, we've sort of moved away from being a drone designer and manufacturer to being a machine learning um, applied systems company. And what we can do is, as Chris said, we can 
use our machine learning ecosystem to really solve problems incredibly quickly. And for me, it's the biggest revolution in my working life. I mean, when the internet comes along, everybody says, you know, that's a big revolution. But as an engineer, really, it lets you find data sheets and components more easily and have video calls with your colleagues. But what machine learning has done is it has just, uh, it's like throwing petrol on a fire. It's just, in terms of developing systems, it is absolutely astonishing. And we have a clear, a clear view now. Things that are inside our machine learning ecosystem, you can literally make them right first time, almost guaranteed. Anything that's outside of that, you're back in what I now think of as the classic approach of uh, trying things out and fixing them and trying again and again. And what do they call it? Fail quickly, fail often. Well, you're mm. guaranteed to do that if you don't use machine learning. And so that's what we do. We, we found that this ecosystem in itself is powerful, but it enables us to come up with these amazing uh, products and solutions like GPS-free navigation, wind sensing, uh, rapid modeling, all these sort of, uh, you know, uh, applications. And what sort of industries are using these sort of applications? And, and I know we'll get to the specific products, so I want to, want to hear about them um, shortly, but what, what are the major industries that you're engaging with? So we're... we're mainly aerospace and defense. So we're, we're trying to stay focused on drones. We often get other industries contact us to say, can you do X? We'll typically turn it down because, so particularly subsea autonomy, because Kelvin mm -hmm. and Conrad have a background in that. And they go, oh, can you help us with this problem? Or can you solve this? Or can you do a bit of consulting? Um, it's not on our road roadmap and it's so easy as a startup you kind of like particularly when people are throwing money at you you're like a kid in a, at a sweet store and you go oh yeah we'll do that we'll do that that brings money in it's got to be good and it having the discipline to actually turn down it turn down things I think is the hardest thing um, to do so at some point in our future and this is you know, not in the next 12 months or sort of way after that, we will probably go after these other industries. But at the moment, there's enough business and stuff to do that, that's kind of much more clearly on our roadmap. And that, that's important, not because so much the end goal of where we're going to get to in five years, but also the amount of crossover work that we can do. So it just makes the company more efficient right now irrespective to the fact it kind of hopefully provides a bit more value down the road and I think that's really important rather than having you know three or four streams of parallel but not connected work for I mean, we're 15 people yeah. so have, having that interconnection and I think it's also good for kind of staff morale staff learning all this kind of stuff um, and if you don't have that you, you sort of end up getting this, this mini divisional bureaucratic structure set up fairly early on and that's a disaster for more companies typically this podcast has always been about the technology but all of a sudden we've now shifted and we're talking about how to run businesses which which is awesome and um you know something you talked about there chris particularly around like the power in turning down work and the power about knowing what you're good at and and sticking with what you're doing and i just sort of wrote down that focus you know is that something you brought to the business as well chris that real you know um I guess, philosophy around know what we're good at and chase that work. Let, let's not do everything poorly. Let's not be a mile wide and an inch deep. Let's be an inch wide and a mile deep. Is is that something you brought along or was that already sort of in the company? I think I think it was all, already there, um, but it certainly 
something that I brought right from actually day one of officer training at <laughs> the Royal Military Academy Sanders. The, the first principle of war is selection and maintenance of the aim. Yep. And, you know, and it, 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 um, as an officer and in any army, it'd be the same in the kind of Aussie army, in the US army. The whole idea is kind of work out what your mission is very clearly and a mission in military terms is normally a task with a purpose. So work out what your task is and what the reason is you're doing that for. And that's really important. And I think I still kind of, I've had that training for a number of years and trading floor banking is very much the same. You know, it's all about focus, focus on the deals that matter, focus on the stuff that's going to make money. And I think I intuitively bring that to the business again it's quite difficult in a startup environment because to you know you listen to these business podcasts and you go oh yeah it's dead easy you do this and you select this and whatever but you're you're working in this sort of very fuzzy logic thing and you don't really know what's going to work and what's going to stick in a year or two years or three years time but I think we're collectively and it's not just um, Kelvin Conrad, myself. I think it's the whole company are collectively are pretty good at just focusing on exactly what we should be doing. You know what helps for the company. We do discuss this quite a lot, and I think that's quite useful. Is giving the senior team enough opportunities and time to have those discussions about kind of more strategic issues because often it just gets lost in the fact you're just too busy and you end up crisis managing yeah. um, every day of your life. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I'm really pleased we kind of pulled that through a little bit. And I've made a bunch of notes here, funnily enough. So um, I, I really like some of that stuff. But Kelvin, let's talk about um, let's talk about why you guys are here. So what are the products you have? Like what we always talk about understanding the problem in the center of everything. You know, we, we should design solutions around a problem, not a not not design a, a solution and then find the problem that it kind of fits with. What was the problem you were going after and what are some of the things that you've kind of developed over time? It, I mean, you're right, especially as an engineer, you like cool technology. So there's a, a natural tendency you have to fight against to invite solutions and then look for problems. And uh, I think we've been pretty good at avoiding that. Uh, certainly it's been good having Chris's focus and discussing almost weekly now with the team, I must admit. So, I mean, we, we started out... You know, with this little nano drone uh, for search and rescue, as I said, what's happened is that there's a market for that. But what people want is the guts inside of it, the autonomous systems inside of it is what people actually want. And so we have services, as Chris has spoke about, we can do very rapid optimization and analysis. Uh, you know, we can generate digital twins very, very quickly and use that to analyze problems. And we can also develop uh, certainly flight systems very, very quickly and assure them very quickly as well. So. Uh, as you probably know, that airspace is very heavily regulated, so you can't come up with an amazing new flying thing and say, there you go, I'll go sell it on the market. You have to yeah. jump through a lot of government-enforced hoops. And what our machine learning is fantastic at is not only developing stuff quickly, but assuring it as well, giving you the massive number of statistics that you need to prove to a very cynical regulator that your system is good. So that's the sort of services side of it. And then on the solutions side, um, what we found interesting is that the amazing capabilities of the machine learning lets you generate systems that are so rugged and diverse, and most autonomous systems are very brittle. It means you can use the same technology to do different things. 
So, for example, we do wind sensing. This is probably the most uh, applicable, uh, understandable of the system. So, as we fly, we don't use the pitot tubes and things like that that drones use. We just use the inertial navigation system. And, for example, as the drone is being jiggled around a little bit by the wind, we can say exactly what made that happen, what, what wind made that happen. And so we have this incredible wind sensing capability. And that system it also works well as a GPS-free navigation system. So that's uh, very topical in Ukraine right now. There's a lot of jamming, for example. But as soon as you've got jewelry being delivered by Amazon drones in cities, those are going to get jammed and spoofed so that people can rob them. And we can provide a GPS-free navigation system that allows the drone to detect it's being jammed or spoofed and then do something about it and escape. So that, that's two sides of the same coin. And then the same system lets you do this uh, amazingly precise airdrop capability, which has obvious defense applications, but is also great for emergency medicine delivery and things like that, which we've had some Innovate UK, which is a government grant to develop. And the other thing is we can develop models of your system super accurately, very quickly. So if you are, a, I don't know, for example, a helicopter flight training company, you need a very accurate model of a helicopter to train the pilots. We can generate those models very quickly, just from a few seconds of real-world flight data. So you can see the problem with focus is we've got this amazing capability, and it spawns all these other things. There are only 15 people, so you do have to be quite ruthless. So you've really got to understand what those what those aims are and what those goals are, and and, and sort of stay focused on them. Um, it, it's really interesting, and, and I was talking today to Nicola from our office about um, your, your company and what you're doing, and you know she sort of explained to me as well that you you can effectively take an entire aircraft not only the physical components, but also the internal components and software components and put that into a, effectively like an, a, virtu a virtual environment to see what, ha what happens. I'm not an aeronautical, aeronautical engineer or an engineer at all, but um, is that kind of semi-close? Is that how you know, it can be described at its most basic level? Yeah, that's right. We, we can make a digital twin, as they call these days, of the aircraft, not just the aerodynamics, but all the subsystems and the timing between different components and even the way that the gearboxes wear in the control systems and things like that. Uh, we can do that really quickly. And once you've got that capability, a very accurate model that's designed for machine learning from scratch, which is part of our core ability, then it basically opens the toy box and it opens up this astonishing array of uh, capabilities. And what we find is they generally they work better than we ever anticipated. And it's because mach machine learning is such an accelerant. You know, if, you, uh, if people aren't using machine learning as an engineer, uh, they're going to fall behind. That's very clear to us. And is that because of a is it because of a cost savings perspective, or is it also just the ability to do so much, you know, without actually getting out in the airspace and flying? Yeah. So you can. We get stuff working on the first flight now, ninety odd percent of the time. Whereas it used to be the other way around. You would take many, many flights. You know, ninety percent of the time it wouldn't work first time. That's almost beaten into you as an engineer. And so it saves a huge amount of time, but also the capabilities that you can have are far better than you would get with the classic approach. So we can get one control system, for example, that works in high winds, low winds, aerobatics, as opposed to having different uh, settings for each one, uh, as just as an example. So I think I've actually I been think, thinking think about it the opposite way around. I was thinking we build something and then we put it in the system and see what happens to it. You're actually saying, I think, that, no, no, we build it in the system first before we actually go and physically build the thing um, or make the modification or the change. Is that is that how you're being used as well? I think I'd just add, add to Calvin's previous answer um, that and human, the human brain is very good at solving 
simple problems and it can solve them in quite creative ways. But as soon as you've got large data, large amounts of stuff going on in your brain, your brain fries and it freezes. And a classic software developer literally do all their best coding, programming, either first thing in the morning or last thing at night because they get in flow, in this state of flow where everything is sort of held together in their brain. But as soon as you disturb them from that, it takes them 15 minutes or so to get back into that state. And what machine learning does is effectively allows, you know, a brain, a computer brain to be in this flow state where they can hold all this information all the time and work out what's, you know, how to use it and what's important and not forget the details. Whereas uh, the human brain is, is, really bad at that and when you're solving any sort of engineering problems whether it's software engineering or hardware engineering um, if there's just too much stuff going on you're not going to make good decisions and I think that's why engineers really need to start giving it to um, computers and even even in my commercial world yesterday Sunday as I normally do I was reading a you know sort sort of a 20 30 page legal document and it's always a fun way to spend process. a Sunday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How I live my life. Um, but it's exactly the same. Pro- you're holding up so much informa- information in your head at the same time. And our brains aren't really wired to do that properly. And that's why a machine is going to do that much better. Anyway, I'll let Kelvin actually answer your question that you asked um, just a second ago now. No, that's okay. No, I think we've sort of got the, the answer to that, to be honest. I think it's um, it's amazing, and particularly in a world of sustainability and everything else, this leads itself towards being more sustainable and using, you know, funds in, in better ways. Um, Chris, as the commercial guy, as the commercial dude at, um, at, at Fleabright, um, what's next? You know, where, what is next? You've got your, your laser focus on, on certain aspects, but where are you heading next? Yeah. So we, we've been primarily grant funded to date and we've, we've got a couple of what I call real grown up contracts come in in the last six months, which is great. So we're going to do more of those. And we've just got um, just about to sign a US government contract, um, which is good news. And um, we've got a few other things in the pipeline. But what we're seeing now is that we have got enough interest from customers to rapidly grow so we're going to look at doing a, um, a large equity round a sort of one million pounds plus equity round in the next few months um, to really accelerate the growth hire um, new talent and given a lot of our talent are top class software developers they're difficult to get hold of mm. um, you know it's, it's a the, there's a massive supply demand imbalance in that kind of market at the moment and and also we're currently struggling to capitalize on all the opportunities that are being thrown at us so we just want to make sure that we can really hit the accelerator and grow the business rapidly so so the next phase really is a, is a sort of another growth spurt so we tend to do these sort of growth spurts for about six months and then yep. consolidate and and i think again as a startup you need to do that if you're constantly growing 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 and, and sort of doubling numbers every month um it's really hard to control that mm. and you tend to get into trouble so i think it's a bit like a, a sports team you know a sports team doesn't play at 
maximum cadence the whole year or the whole season. They tend to have a, a sort of a performance part of the season and then a training part of the season. And then there's even within the performance part, there's peaks and there's troughs. And I think that that same cadence is useful in a business. And so we're just about to go into that kind of growth performance bit um, because we've consolidated the people that we've got. That's that's really the next phase in a, a sort of bigger picture. In the smaller kind of micro picture, it's much more focused on the the wind measurement, which we're finding is a is a really interesting niche. Um, and particularly as the civil drone sector grows, the industry will need to know what the wind is everywhere, particularly in urban environments. Because mm. if you're flying next to a tower block or a skyscraper, the wind at one corner or on one face of it is going to be totally different to the wind on another. And if you're delivering a pizza or a Amazon parcel from a particularly smaller drone, which is a bit more susceptible to the wind, you absolutely need to know that every mm. time. So we're, we're doing a whole load of work developing that bit of the business. And then I think as GPS becomes the sort of more interference, more issues happen with GPS again because more people are using it. More people are, um, you know, they'll, they'll be jamming in a defence situation. But I think there'll just be much more interference issues. Having a GPS-free capability in every drone will become really important. So that's another focus area for us going forward. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. You know, but coming out of defence myself, you know, we, we always train in the GPS denied environment at the moment. You know, there's not a lot of aircraft that can fly in GPS denied environments and everyone thinks it's never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, Russia's in the middle of Ukraine and, and who would have thought that was going to happen? So I think it's it's really great. And I think that the fact that a lot of your stuff has come from and is still leading towards, you know, making people safe, keep keeping people safe, which is which is really important. Um, Kelvin, we're running out a bit of time actually, but but I want to make sure people know where to find you. Where can they uh, where can they either reach out and, and touch base with you directly, or where can they find out more information about um, Flarebright? Well, I just go to our website, which is flarebright.com, and uh, you'll find all the information there. Or you can just email myself, kelvin.hamilton at flarebright.com, or chris.daniels at flarebright.com. Great, and, and we're heavy users of LinkedIn. And oh yeah. A sort of users of Twitter, but either of those will uh, <laughs> we'll get back to you on. LinkedIn's the place to be. So if you want to go and connect on LinkedIn with Kelvin Hamilton uh, from Flarebright and also Chris Daniels. Um, gents, thanks so much for taking the time this morning. Um, your time, my, my, the sun's now down here, so it's late, uh, late our time. Um, thanks for what you're doing in the industry. I think it's fantastic and it's obviously going to keep people safe into the future. So thank you for, for uh, persevering through the startup and, and making things happen. And best of luck with your, your seeding round that's coming up as well. I'm sure we'll see and hear more about it. Uh, best of luck with everything and, and thanks again. Thank, Thank you.